0: Thank you for taking the time to listen to this message from Stonebridge United Methodist Church. We hope it encourages you to live and love like Jesus.
1: Hi, I'm Dino Simony, and I'm going to be reading from the book of Matthew, chapter 21, verses 1 through 11 this morning. When they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus gave two disciples a task. He said to them, Go into the village over there. As soon as you enter, you will find a donkey tied up and a colt with it. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that their master needs them. He sent them off right away. Now, this happened to fulfill what the prophet said. Say to daughter Zion, Look, your king is coming to you, humble and riding on a donkey and on a colt, the donkey's offspring. The disciples went and did just as Jesus had ordered them. They brought the donkey and the colt and laid their clothes on them. Then he sat on them. Now a large crowd had spread their clothes on the road. Others caught palm branches off the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds in front of him and behind him shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessings on the one Who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred. Who is this? They asked. The crowds answered, it's the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
0: Dino, thanks for reading the scripture today. Very much appreciate you taking time to do that. So in Jesus' lifetime, the population of the city of Jerusalem would have been about 40,000 people. So not a small amount of people. But of course it was, it was um, ruled by the Roman Empire. It was one of those distant places that the Roman Empire had conquered and they ruled it from afar. But there wasn't a, a really large Roman presence there at the time. There were some Roman officials. There were some, certainly some Roman soldiers. But they, they were handling that area like they did some of the other outlying areas that they controlled. They, um, they got some of the local people to cooperate with them and to keep the Roman order and Roman law. In this particular case, they had uh, gotten the chief priests and the scribes to be cooperative so that the chief priests and scribes could make sure that nobody does anything crazy, we're not going to do anything to upset Rome. And so you didn't have to have a large presence of soldiers or anybody like that. However... During times of a feast or a festival of some sort, the population would grow dramatically sometimes, especially when it came to Passover, which happened in the spring. And so, uh, as uh, people would come from all the outlying areas into Jerusalem for Passover and the temple, the population could get up, it were upwards of 200,000 people. Well, that's when, yes, the the governor or the ruler at the time, whoever it was, would come to town along with a lot of soldiers to make sure and enforce the peace. So on a spring day, sometime in the year 30, there were two processions that happened in Jerusalem. One of them happened at the West Gate, and that is where Governor Pontius Pilate, came in with his entourage and soldiers. Now this would have been very impressive. I mean, when they came in, I mean, Pontius Pilate would have been leading the procession on his war horse. There would have been people carrying banners Uh, proclaiming his presence and and, and the honor of the emperor. Uh, There would have been people carrying uh, these golden eagles on top of long poles that they carried into these processions. There would have been uh, the cavalry. There would have been soldiers mounted on horses. Then there would have been the foot soldiers. This would have been quite an impressive display as they come into town, hearing, hearing the animals, hearing the metal clank together, hearing the thunderous Footsteps of the horses and the soldiers. No doubt would have attracted a crowd. There would be people watching this procession coming into town, uh, and and some of them were just, of course, curious—just curious. Just curious. Um, the population at uh, uh, Jerusalem at that time, about ninety percent of it, were people of the peasant class. So certainly there would have been some of those people just curious. But since this was Governor Pontius Pilate. And some of important officials, some of the other people in town who would not only want to see this happen, they would want to be seen, were there also. They would have been at that procession as they came in. Because, because part of what that procession and, and, the, and their presence during this time was to reinforce was um, what, what occurs in lots of cultures and societies throughout time. But it's to enforce a domination system a domination system. And and for the Romans, this was really backed up by a theology about their emperor, Tiberius, at this time. Now, this was not unique to him before and after him. The emperors were considered the son of God. They would require to be called Lord. They were referred to as Savior. They were the ones who brought peace on earth. Sound familiar? And this royal theology was such that in this domination system was, then you had to swear allegiance to the Lord Caesar. You had to maybe bend the knee and get on your knees in the presence of someone who was there to represent Caesar, like maybe Governor Pontius Pilate. He came to represent all of that at this time when there's about to be a lot of people in the city all there over the Passover, commemorating a time when they were oppressed by Pharaoh in Egypt and how Moses led them out of Egypt. And so here again are the Jews in a city controlled by someone else. They were going to show, they were going to flex. The Romans were going to flex at this time to make sure those people understood who was in charge. The East Gate would be very different. The East Gate was where Jesus rode in on a donkey. Pretty simple. He rode in on a donkey crowds though lined the streets, they laid their clothes on the street, they put their palm branches on the street, shouting Hosanna, Hosanna to the son of David, because that's where the Savior will come from the Messiah from the line of David who was king of Israel a thousand years earlier, but from him will be the Messiah, the scriptures had taught this from the beginning and the prophets had spoken of it, so they were awaiting the son of David, and here he is here he is. Now this would, have been, this would have been pretty much totally the peasant class. Others would have been attracted to the Romans. This would have been mostly the peasant class. And I think sometimes we kind of lose sight and forget about the fact that Jesus was in the peasant class. That was his status in life as a human so, he, uh, so he, he rides in, and people are shouting Hosanna and uh, laying the, the coats and the uh, palm branches on, on the path, and he's riding on a donkey. Now, in many cultures, including our own, we often view uh, donkeys as stupid and stubborn. Stupid and stubborn. Even in some languages, the word for donkey means something like that in, in the language of uh, Farsi The word is commonly used for a stupid person. It's the same thing for a donkey. In Spanish, uh, poino, some of you might know that, it means rude, unsophisticated, or ignorant person. That's the word they use for donkey. And certainly when you read in the Bible, uh, depending on the translation you're reading, it may not say donkey, it may use another word. It's a short word, three letters is all, but I feel like I should not say it right now. So I won't. If you don't know, ask somebody after the service. Not one of the children hunting eggs, though. Don't ask, don't ask them. We might even use it in our, in just in our conversations sometimes. You're dealing with somebody who's really hard to deal with, and you might say, well, don't be a blank about it. Right? But in the Bible, donkeys are viewed with admiration. It's crazy, you can't find a negative statement, a negative depiction of a donkey in the Bible. They are viewed as very dependable, very sturdy, very strong, very hard-working animals, and there's no reflection in the Bible of them being stubborn at all. You might remember when Mary and Joseph were traveling to Bethlehem, they, she rode on a donkey. That happened frequently throughout the scripture. It's, it's referred to in positive ways in the Old Testament. This is, this is uh, maybe a little unusual except the prophet Zechariah. The prophet Zechariah, whom Matthew chose to quote here, envisioned a future Messiah in exactly this way. Where he said in chapter nine, Zechariah chapter 9, he says, Your king comes to you triumphant and victorious is he, humble and riding on a donkey. that's a very different kind of procession than what's happening at the East Gate. Donkeys were seen as humble creatures. They're connected to humility and peace. The Messiah comes in peace. So Jesus rode a donkey into town that day as a blatant contrast to the Roman entourage to show that God's kingdom does not share the values and the practices of the Roman regime. Quite a contrast. And even, even the palm branches. In, in Jesus' time, they symbolized victory or peace. So waving the palm branches would have been something that would be certainly welcoming for a peaceful Messiah to come in. Often they were, it was uh, in, in uh, athletic competitions or even the gladiatorial contests of the Roman era uh, they were the winner would be given a palm branch, that was to signify they're the winner. That was very very common, and so this also became a symbol as time went in the history of the church. Became a symbol for the martyrs. You know those people who uh, clung dearly to the belief that Jesus was truly the Lord. Well, a domination system doesn't like that. A domination system doesn't like it when you say, no, you know what, I'm not loyal to you, I'm loyal to somebody else. And so the domination system would exact their justice in the way they thought was right, which was often executing Christians. And in the Christian community, it it began to be something almost as, as an honor to be martyred. Because that meant you were so faithful even in the face of death threats that you would be martyred and it became an honor knowing that the pain they would go through would be nothing compared to the paradise that they would enjoy later so uh, this this reading we had today was from the gospel of uh, Matthew and so it was you know tradition has it that the Apostle Matthew wrote uh, the gospel. There's uh, academic questions surrounding that, but uh, but it's attributed to to Matthew. Uh, and so Matthew uh, was one of the apostles certainly, and he did what Jesus told the apostles to do. That after uh, the resurrection, after Jesus had ascended into heaven, after the Holy Spirit had filled them to be able to speak the good news to all people of the world, after that, many of the the apostles they began to travel. And they began to go preach the good news matthew went to ethiopia Uh, from jerusalem that's about 2100 miles or about the same as driving from los angeles to atlanta well except it was the first century so it's walking to ethiopia he went there and established a mission Uh, and had uh, worship services, and uh, the, you know, this is not historically verified exactly, but the legend is, is that uh, he and the king of Ethiopia at the time did not see eye to eye on some things, and he spoke publicly against the king, even on one day when he was celebrating the mass, and the king was in, in the service, and he spoke publicly against the decision the king had made, and the king ordered him to be executed, right then and there so such was the the situation for martyrs these of course have been depicted in art uh, throughout time and uh, there was an Italian artist who uh, depicted many of these uh, different kinds of scenes. One of them in, in Caravaggio is the name of the artist and so here's one of them it's, this is the, uh, the martyrdom of Saint Matthew. Now the thing, reason I point that out partly because we read from Matthew and Matthew was martyred um, it's kind of it's hard to see I know but you see on, at the top it looks an angel on a cloud depicted right reaching down He's handing Matthew a palm branch. You won. You won. You were faithful to the end. And you will be received in paradise. Just as Jesus told that thief hanging on the cross next to his. This was the path for Jesus. The events later in the week, as we know what those are, I mean, he was, he was, he was denied, he was betrayed, he was arrested, he was tortured. He was, I mean, all the things, we know those are coming. And all that was foreseen. I mean, the prophet spoke of this, that this would not be an easy path. Uh, the prophet Isaiah wrote, The Lord God opened my ear, I didn't rebel. I did not turn my back. Instead, I gave my body to attackers. I didn't hide my face from insults and spitting. The Lord God will help me. So why would Jesus do this? Why would Jesus do this? Why would any of the martyrs do this? But in particular, Jesus. Well, it was his passion. It was his passion. This Sunday, we call it Palm Sunday. In some traditions, they refer to this as Passion Sunday. And and this is Passion Week because we are commemorating the passion of Jesus, which in that sense usually means suffering. You might, you might remember the movie several years ago, The Passion of the Christ, which was a focus on the suffering of Jesus. Well, certainly that's appropriate. I mean, the, the Latin word was passio, which is where you get passion, and it meant, in Latin, suffering. But I think there's another kind of passion that we, we, we tend to think of now, and it, and it is that it's that passion of, of concentrated effort, right? Concentrated attention, that it's a consuming interest, you have, a, you have a passion to uh, help, help vets who are back and having trouble reintegrating into, the, into society. Uh, you, you have a passion for helping someone who was not able to finish high school to get their GED. Whatever it is, a passion for helping, a passion for serving at Malvern, at Community Lifeline, so you have a passion for doing that kind of thing. And so I think, I think that's, that's also an aspect of this that, that we often don't even think of, that Jesus had a passion that he was willing to suffer for because he was passionate about making God's kingdom known and telling the good news of that and saying, and that means it's a different life. So maybe put it in other words, Jesus taught and demonstrated that God's preferred reality for the world is not based on domination and force, but is based in peace, joy, and love. This very day is ironic. I mean, this very day is ironic because part of it is celebratory, right? We have the palm parade, which is fun. Every year, it's the same thing. It's kids carrying palm fronds, and it's just fun, right? It gives us joy to see that. And here, in a little while, we're going to have an egg hunt. Yet more fun. At the same time, this is the beginning of a difficult week. It's the beginning of a week where A lot of difficult things happen in the life of Jesus. So it's kind of ironic. We know of the dark events ahead. But we also know there's more to the story. Jesus shared a a final meal with his closest followers, extending grace and peace to them, including Peter, who would deny him, and Judas, who would betray him, well and the other guys weren't perfect either invited them to that to that table where they would share that where he extended grace and peace where where they knew they were welcomed by him where he was there to extend to them a part of life that they so desperately needed when the when the uh, Bible re- speaks of the saints uh, they're, they're referring to the gathered believers in, in, a, in a church the saints and yet it, we also have to remember that yeah, we're saints and we're sinners and we're sinners and so we need this meal we need this grace and peace that Jesus extends we, we need the strength of this meal and the strength from one another to remain faithful